Um, so this is our sixth week in the book that we're going through, Common Lies That Christians Believe. And each week we look at a common belief within Christianity, Christianity that is actually not true. So far we've looked at topics such as God just wants me to be happy or the idea that we should follow our hearts. And this week we'll be looking at the lie that God just doesn't really care. So sometimes we can handle, unfortunately in life, sometimes we get way more than we can handle. Sometimes stuff goes wrong. Sometimes we can take it, but other times it's just too much for us to handle. And it's in those moments that it's just too much that we look at God and we say, don't you care about what's happened to me? Why would you let this happen? What is going on? And unfortunately, after crying out to God, some come to the conclusion that God simply does not care or that he's forgotten about him. And in my own life, one of the hardest times for me personally was when I left the church that I grew up at. This church was my home. I was there literally any time the door was open and even sometimes that the doors weren't open because I found out the alarm code for my youth pastor so I could let myself in. So um, don't do that. Um, yeah, so this was my home. I was there literally all the time. We had a good group of friends and we grew up together. We learned the Bible together. We grew spiritually together. And after I graduated, I moved on to become an intern at this church um, with the youth minister that I grew up at. He did an awesome job mentoring me, and I really learned so much from him. And long story short, we eventually got a new youth pastor. And let's just say we didn't get along very well, um, but some stuff happened, and the youth group eventually started to dwindle. Um, and because of that, I was eventually let go because the church could no longer afford to pay me. And it was in that moment that I found out that I was no longer going to be a part of this home, this family that I had been a part of, like, literally since, literally since I can remember. I had been there since I was five. It felt like I had, I had been betrayed by my family. And it was, in what, it was this moment that I'm sitting here crying out to God, so, so many nights that I can't even remember, and tears crying out to God because I did not understand what was going on. I don't know if I said the words exactly, but the sentiment was there, like, God, don't you even care? Don't you care about what's happening to me? But I over and over again just cried out, why, God, why is this happening? And over time, um, I eventually begin to see some of the reasonings. Um, but we're not going to go into all of that. Um, but unfortunately, I equated people's actions to God's actions. And because this was a church, it felt like God was doing this to me. No, it, it was people's actions. But I equated them to God. So one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that God is exactly like we are. Meaning, we often think that God struggles with the same failures, limitations, and weaknesses that we do. We think that if I struggle with loving people, then God must too. That if I break promises, then God must too. Unlike us, God is not limited by space and power. While I might easily forget about someone, God never will. And what we must understand is that although we are made in God's image, there is a fundamental difference between us. He is God, and we are not. Just because I am not perfect does not mean he is. And when we say that God is holy, what we're actually talking about is the fact that he is set apart. That's what holy means. Meaning he is different 
from all of creation. There is no one or nothing that is like him. And he has certain characteristics and attributes that only he possesses. And if at any time he were to no longer possess any of these char- some of these characteristics and attributes, he would no longer be God because he would no longer be perfect and he would be lacking something. But thankfully, we know that God is perfect and he's not lacking anything. And it's through some of these characteristics and attributes that he possesses that we get to see God's true character and that can help us combat this lie that God does not care. So, I'm sorry, I do not have slides for y'all today, Um, and there's going to be some big words, um, such as omnipotent. Um, That is the first word we're discussing today. Um, It's one of God's characteristics. It means that he is all-powerful. So again, that is omnipotent, or if you don't know how to spell that, just put all-powerful. That is totally fine, too. Um, So he is all-powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do, but at the exact same time, He also has perfect control over that power and perfect self-control. He's not going to do anything that is against his character. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, With this man is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There's tons of things that we're limited to and cannot do. But with God, it's all possible. There's nothing that he cannot do. There's nothing that he cannot overcome. And if you're sitting here wondering, like, okay, how does God being all-powerful mean that he cares about me? And it means that he can do anything and everything and never grow weary. I don't know about y'all, but I am an introvert. Meaning, if I'm around people for too long, I eventually do not want to be around people anymore. And I want to go home and do absolutely nothing for a little bit. Um, God, not like that. He can handle our prayers all day long. He can handle all of our prayers all day long. He never grows weak or weary. So God, he's different from us. Whereas we have these limitations that I can't be around people for that long. Even if you're an introvert, you probably have a limit that you're like, okay, I need to go home and just sit down by myself for a little bit. But God's not like that. In Isaiah 40, 28, it says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. So not only is God all-powerful, and he can do anything, but that also means there's nothing too big for him to handle. We can take all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our problems, and lay it down at the foot of the cross. There is nothing too big for him to handle that he will look at and say, Ugh, I'm sorry, you're just too messed up. There's nothing too big for God to handle. We can give it all to him. And he is big enough that he can handle it all and he will not grow weary or faint from it. And as a quick side note, while we're on the topic of God being all-powerful, y'all might, especially those of y'all that are about to go into college, y'all are probably going to hear this mildly annoying argument that goes something along the lines of, is there a boulder so big that God can't move it? So... What do y'all think? Is there a boulder so big that God can't move it? Okay. Um, Sorry, my apologies. The argument is, can God create a boulder so big that he can't move it? Okay, what what do y'all think? Can God create a boulder so big that he can't move it? Okay, God's not all-powerful because he can't create that boulder. Y'all see where I'm going with this? This is why this argument is really annoying, because it's purposely set up to make it look 
Like, no matter how you answer, that God is somehow limited in some way. Because if you say that, yes, God can create that boulder, he's now not powerful enough to move the boulder. See where, see where it's going? That's why it's really annoying, because this argument does not understand the true nature of God. It does not understand what it means for God to be all-powerful. Because God being all-powerful means that he can overcome anything and everything. And that in order for him to make something so big that even he couldn't handle, he would have to become less than he currently is. He would have to become less than God. He would have to be lacking in some way. Um, So anyway, quick apologetics lesson for anyone going into college. Y'all will probably come up against that argument. It's really annoying, but um, it just misunderstands the power of God because it would say that he actually has to become less than God for him to do that, which why would he? Um, so anyway, the first ab- attribute is, um, um, is that he is all-powerful. The second is that he is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere all at once. And before I get any further into this, this attribute, don't get it confused with pantheism, which is the belief that God is, that everything is a part of God. So yes, in this belief, he's technically still everywhere, but it's saying like, the grass is God, the trees are God. So Two totally separate things. Christians don't believe in pantheism. So don't get that confused when I'm saying that God is everywhere. Um, So rather, Christians believe that he is everywhere all at once. Psalms 139, 7-8 says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there as well. So God is omnipresent. When you call out to him, you don't have to wait on him to arrive because he's there from the start. He's at your home. He's with you when he's in your car. He's with you at school. When you're at your job, at church, God is always there. Furthermore, we couldn't escape him even if we tried. Anywhere we go, God is already there, which reminds me of the story of Jonah. Um, if y'all were here with us um, back in 2020, I think, um, we were going through the story of Jonah, real short four-chapter book, um, but it presents the story of this man named Jonah who was a prophet, and God called Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh. And the Ninevites were a wickedly cruel people. Um, so Jonah did not like them. So instead of obeying what God told him to do, Jonah tried to flee. He boarded a boat and tried to go to a city named Tarshish. Um, and... In Jonah 1.3, it says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. It literally says that he tried to escape God's presence by getting on a boat. But as Jonah, 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 oh, I can't talk today, soon found out that's easier said than done. Because even in the middle of the sea, God was still there and he was still all-powerful. So much so that even the waves obeyed him. So while Jonah was on the boat, God sent a massive storm. And long story short, eventually the sailors that he was with learned that God sent the storm because of Jonah. And so they eventually threw him overboard. And the storm calmed as soon as Jonah went over the edge, and God sent a big fish to swallow him up. And I grew up on VeggieTales, so if I say whale, I mean big fish. It's okay. But they have a whole song, so it's kind of ingrained in my head. Um, So anyway... um, 
So yeah, this big fish came and swallowed him up, and he lived inside the fish for three days. But the coolest part is that even through this, even through Jonah being in the belly of a whale, we still get to see Jonah crying out to God and praying to him. Even in the belly of the whale, God was still there. And after three days, God commanded that whale to spit him up and... um, Even all-powerful enough to command a fish to spit him up on the shore after living in him for three days. God is everywhere and he is all-powerful. The third attribute is that God is omnibenevolent, which means that God loves perfectly and he never runs out of love. This one's really cool because God is even described as being love. 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is the embodiment of love. And he is perfectly able to love 7.6 billion people, which if you didn't know, that is the current population of earth. He's perfectly able to love 7.6 billion people without lacking a single ounce of love for, for another one of those people. And he loves perfectly because he is already in a perfect relationship with himself. For those that are new to Christianity, what I'm talking about is what we call the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to dive into all that right now because that's the whole week worth of lessons within itself. Um, but basically, they are three distinct. They're distinct, but at the same time, they are one. Yeah, real confusing, so, but that's okay. We can dive into it another time if you have questions. Um, so they're distinct from each other, but they're on, in a constantly consistent, perfect, loving relationship. Um, And even though he doesn't need us, God doesn't need us to fulfill anything for him. But he still wants us. He still wants to have that relationship with us. He doesn't need us to fulfill this relationship because he's already in a perfectly loving relationship with the Trinity, with himself. And the last attribute of God is that he is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. There is nothing that we can teach God, nor is there anything that surprises him. And he doesn't have to be reminded about anything. The Psalms tell us that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows us better than we know ourselves because he designed us, he created us, he gave us life. He remembers everything about us because he knew it all to begin with including our very own thoughts and feelings. Psalms 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Or some translations might also say thoughts. He knows us better in a lot of ways than we know ourselves. Or at least that we're willing to be honest with ourselves about. Which can be a kind of scary thought that God knows all of our thoughts, all of our actions, even the ones that we think no one else knows, even the ones that we are most ashamed of, God knows them, but he offers forgiveness to us at the foot of the cross for those who trust in Jesus. And when you mix all of these attributes together, it paints a really amazing picture of the God that we serve. He is all-powerful, but despite having all the power in the world, he is also all-loving. 
He's all-knowing. But despite knowing our deepest, darkest secrets, the things that we would never let anyone else know, he still loves us. He is with us always, even when we are disobedient. God being God doesn't need anything from us. But even though he doesn't need us, he still wants us, and he knows how badly we need him. So if you're asking if God cares, the answer is a resounding yes. And there is one act that stands out above the rest that shows just how much he cares. That is sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. You see, because of sin, we are separated from God. We can never be with him. And so he sent his son Jesus to pay that ultimate price on the cross so that we can have this relationship with him, so that we can still be with him. He gave us his best, which is himself, on that cross, then rose three days later, and now we can still have that relationship with him for those that believe in him. So Jesus came that we may know God and have a relationship with him. And his death on the cross and resurrection is such a beautiful reminder of just how much he cares for his people. He paid the ultimate price. And Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Meaning that if we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If we want to know if God cares, look to Jesus. There's four Gospels that tell you all about him and all of the amazing things he did and just showing how much he cares for people. But then there's also that one event on the cross that ultimately shows how much he cared. He knew before we were even born, before your parents were even born, before we knew that we needed him, he knew that we would need him. And he died on that cross for us. So the answer is resounding yes. He does care. And today, if you don't have that relationship with him, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, if you want to see exactly how much he cares, any leader in here would be ecstatic to talk to you about that. Um, probably most of the students as well. So if you have questions about that, please ask us. We'd be happy to tell you. Um, and if you don't know who your leader is, can, can I raise your hands real quick, leaders? Cool, yeah. So any of these people raising their hands would be more than happy to talk to you about what that means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, let's see. Yeah, I definitely skipped my last point, but that is okay. Um, so Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So that phrase there, Abba, Father, is such a cool phrase. Because it literally means we can cry out to him as if we're crying out to our own dads here on earth, saying, Daddy, I need your help. Daddy. That is the relationship that we get with God because of Jesus. All right, so we are going to head out to our breakout groups. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, um, and then um, we can head into those groups. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for the opportunity to come here and learn more about you. Um, 
I pray that we will just continue to draw, draw closer to you. And thank you for the example of Jesus on the cross that shows us just how much you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.